Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos. And I think this is the first time in From Complex to Queens history that it's only been two of us. Really? That's a little surprising. Yeah, I think there might have been like maybe an episode or two where like we were doing individual like interviews or individual things, kind of like that. But I think this is the first time that it's only been two people, which is pretty crazy when you think about where basically 200 episodes in yeah i feel like a lot of the time when when we can't get more than three of us or more than two of us in a in a call we like do individual recordings but right yeah yeah that is true true. well it's too bad because i had a uh, promote extend trade that was all new jersey and and i think you would have you would have enjoyed it being a new jersey person but yes yes oh well all right not anymore i'm not but you know formerly new jersey person do you, do you do you renounce your New Jersey heritage? I mean, I'm a New York person, I'm more than a New Jersey person at this point. Uh, All right, that's good then. I'm gonna gonna elicit some strong feelings in the in pizza over this. <laughs> All right, so well, it's actually good because we do have a lot to talk about this week. Um, so we don't want to make too long of an episode. 
And uh, the first thing we'll talk about, I guess, is all the roster activity that's that's been going on this week. The team signed uh, a few minor league free agents. They picked up a few guys from waivers, and they even made a trade. And mm-hmm. all these guys, they're currently marginal, fringe, quad A guys. There is the potential for some of them to be more. So maybe they will go on to become great major leaguers. But for now, they're on the cusp. And being in their cusp, they are in our wheelhouse. So first up, the Mets claimed left-handed pitcher uh, Taylor Saucedo off of waivers from the Toronto Blue Jays. They claimed right-handed pitcher Stephen Ridings off waivers from the Yankees. They signed free agent right-handed pitcher Edgar Moretta from nobody. He was a free agent. Uh, they claimed right-handed pitcher William Woods off of waivers from the Braves. And last but not least, they traded right-handed pitcher Franklin Sanchez and a player to be named later to the Marlins in exchange for right-handed pitcher Eliezer Hernandez and right-handed pitcher Jeff Brigham. So I didn't actually realize that there was a player to be named later in there. That could be a little concerning. I'm not too concerned, honestly. But I mean, if it was if it was the other Florida team, I would be very concerned. Now that's if fair because that's how you wind up giving. Uh, um, what the hell was Catalina's first name? Uh, Neraldo. Neraldo, thank you. Not that Catalina has worked out, but you don't want to be given the race, that kind of lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. Marlin's a little less. I don't. I'm I, not I afraid of a little the less. Yes, exactly. All right, so of all of these guys, who do you want to talk about? I mean, I think almost all of them merit some level of discussion, and just from a big picture point of view. I should also start this conversation by saying, yes, I know I'm a sicko and also everything that's wrong with baseball fandom that I obsess over the Mets adding five marginal pitchers instead of, you know, spending $150 million on Jacob deGrom or whoever they sign. But this is this is the kind of stuff I'm really into. And it was is a nice change of pace to see the Mets be active in this phase of the of the, the roster building year. And also generally grab the the quote-unquote right guys, right? And who knows if any of them will pan out, but they're grabbing interesting talent as opposed to uh, just literally depth with no upside. Um, I think the trade with the Marlins is the most interesting move they made. Uh, I really like Eliezer Hernandez. I've liked Eliezer Hernandez for a a long time. had a really, really excellent 2020. Uh, now, that was only 25 innings. He had shown flashes before that, but he's never really been able to stay healthy, and he also throws a really terrible four-seam fastball way too often. But it, it, it's a fixable profile, right? You can look at it and say there's some obvious tweaks to be made. He throws a couple good pitches. He feels like a guy that a good organization should be able to uh, min-max if you can keep him on the field. And he has minor league options, so the Mets desperately need some some pitching depth with options. Um, and then Brigham is a, a fun older guy that that very quietly had a, a, a nice year last year. Uh, struck out ten and a half batters per nine innings. Um, has options again, even though he's thirty, going to be thirty one. He has two options. And if 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 he's the last guy out of the bullpen, if he's the 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 eighth guy in the bullpen that's getting shoved up and down as needed. That's that's a really nice depth piece. Now, if they're waiting for him to be the setup guy, that's a problem. But I don't think that's what they're doing. Well, let's hope not. 
Um, do you have any strong thoughts on Franklin Sanchez? No, I mean he's. Yeah, me neither. He's basically a a fastball guy. Command is not great. Not great and... is kind. It's 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 twenty grade <laughs> command. It's bad. Yeah, no. And I mean, and not a guy that I'm losing any kind of real sleep over. These are right. guys that should be a dime a dozen. Yes, he's just the generic tall pitching prospect that has literally no idea where his limbs are going most of the time, I think. And mm-hmm. he was he was beyond awful in the AFL. Um, sometimes I think you worry when guy when teams pick your pocket for guys out of the AFL, but I certainly didn't because you're like, oh, maybe they saw something on the Statcast metrics or, or whatever else. I don't know what you could have possibly seen from Franklin Sanchez that that seems appealing. Um, so at least as far as I'm concerned, the Mets added two uh, optionable uh, arms, one of whom is already good and the other who has some, I don't want to say high upside because Eliezer is not going to be an ace, but like some medium level upside um, to a roster that desperately needed those sorts of players. And they did it basically for free as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, my, I have much more faith in Eliezer Hernandez and or Jeff Brigham having some kind of some kind of positive impact on the major league roster than I am Franklin Sanchez, who's never pitched yeah. above uh, high A mm-hmm. and has 63 and one third inning under his belt for his entire career. So, you know. Uh, I can't really complain about this. Like I said, the, the the player to be named later could be concerning, but you know, it, 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 it is what a it little, is. I'd be a little surprised if it's anyone notable. I'll put it that way. Yeah, right? I mean, like, if it turns out to be, I'm scrolling through roster resource for a random name. Uh, I don't know. Logo. Yeah. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I, I don't care. I was going to say the the random USC infielder they drafted, DeAndre Smith. Is they, I think his first name was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if, if that's it, fine. Like I don't care. They're not going to give yeah, up I mean, any. They're not going to give up anything of note. No, they, they, it's at best they'll get a kind of at best for them anyway. <laughs> Worse for the Mets, they'll get somebody who maybe would be in like the twenty-five to thirty range in our top prospect lists at yeah. best. And it's, this is a system that really falls off hard after, I think, six or so, and then falls off even harder <laughs> later on. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not too worried. I'm also just – I had this open, and I seem to have closed the tab. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why the Marlins did this, frankly, because I know – It is Marlins, weird. I know they, the Marlins are cheap, and also they theoretically have a lot of pitching depth. But a lot of that pitching depth is currently hurt, and Eliezer and uh, Brigham are going to be due like $2.6 million combined in arbitration, according to the MLBTR estimates. That's why I'm a little concerned about who that player to be named is later. Because right now, at this point, it's basically that the Marlins are giving up two guys that have major league utility for more or less any team for a guy that is barely a prospect. Didn't they put them on like they were going to put them on waivers, though? I think both of them were. I, 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 I'm pulling it up now. 
Either way, it's just weird that the Marlins are getting rid of two guys that have utility and they're getting basically nothing back with Sanchez. Not again. He's a better ball player than I'll ever be. But you know what I'm saying. Yes. I mean, they, they DFA'd Brigham, and I'm pretty sure they DFA'd uh, Hernandez huh. as well. Um, oh, and I'm it. not intimately familiar with their 40-man roster situation. Maybe they have a bunch of prospects they have to add. Yeah, they DFA'd both of them. So, mm. But I, I thought, look, is this move going to win the Mets the World Series? No, it is not. But this is a very smart move for a team that needed this sort of depth. Um, and now they have a couple optionable arms. It's it's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven Ridings, I don't have any strong thoughts on. I think it's a nice pickup, a gamble on an injured guy. Now, he had shoulder problems, and I don't trust anyone to ever really come back from shoulder problems, if I'm being honest. Because... But he was like a semi-notable relief prospect in a Yankee system that has produced a lot of nice relievers with this profile, right? So if you're gambling on the shoulder coming back healthy and him remembering some of the stuff he got from the Yankees, I think that's... They did it for free. Again, it makes a lot of sense to, to grab this sort of guy off the back of a much deeper roster. Um, Saucedo is a big guy with questionable control who had really nice strikeout rates. That's fun. And Woods was a, Woods is I don't I don't understand why the Braves let him go either. I think he, his stuff kind of backed up in 2022 a bit as well after improving in prior years and he's had injury concerns. But he's also just 23, has already been in Double A, Triple uh, A, and has shown a big fastball. Like. But, I think the best way to, I'm rambling a bit here, but the best way to put this is that the Mets went to a bunch of rosters known for developing pitchers that have that are much deeper than their own and grabbed guys off the back of it that the other mm-hmm. teams just didn't have room for. And I think that's really a really smart bit of business. I mean, it it, it is literally the their the system's main weakness is pitching in the mm-hmm. upper levels. We know that, mm-hmm. and the team itself is lacking in relievers <laughs> i mean half of the bullpen is is gone mm-hmm. so you might as well take a bunch of wild cards and and throw things and see what sticks and if they don't stick you could get rid of them you could option them down whatever mm-hmm. and i think in an ideal world like at most two of these guys are on the major league roster um I don't think Hernandez is going to be like a serious contender for the rotation, but who knows if he shows up and has a big spring. Um, And I don't think all of the, like right now, if you go to roster resource, all of Brigham, Saucedo, and uh, uh, they don't have writings, but Brigham, Saucedo, Hernandez are all on the projected roster. Like that's not going to happen. Um, If you have two of these guys hanging out in the bullpen and the rest are all optionable guys in AAA, that's, already a much better situation than we had for the entirety of uh, 2022. Yep. And, you know, Syracuse is really bad. Yes. Additional guys in Syracuse, maybe they improve the team. And God knows, as the people that have to watch and or read about Syracuse every night, we want that team to be better. I mean, prior to this, the Syracuse bullpen was going to have Eric Orzi, Daniel Nunez, Grant Hartwig, and Hartwig is a stretch to call a real prospect, I think. And then nothing else. Then you're talking about, like, uh, I can't Otanez. even 
Trey Cobb. Trey Cobb, yeah. Uh, I forgot. Otanias and Montes de Oca I would like to start in AAA as well, but who knows? Um, Mets have a lot of work to do to build out the major league pitching staff. Yes, they do. All right, um, we'll move on now to the second thing we're going to be discussing this week. And the deadline to add players to the 40-man roster came and it went. And coming into the deadline on Tuesday, the Mets had 32 spots to fill, meaning that they could add as many as eight players. Obviously, you know, that's not how it works because spots have to be left open for free agents and to acquire all these, you know, to add uh, all these these players that they acquired that we were just talking about and, and whatever else. But the point was, the point is that there were, there was plenty of room for players to be added to the 40 men. And kind of puzzlingly, the Mets did not add a single player to the 40-man roster to protect them from the uh, Rule 5 draft. The Rule 5 draft, you know, just as a, as a quick refresher for everyone that's listening that either doesn't really know the rules or whatever, but players that get selected, they need to be rostered on the major league team. So that rules out the majority of players that are eligible this year because half of them have never played above high A or even low A, and a team is not going to pick a guy that, you know, there's no chance that they have any kind of success against major league hitters or pitchers and roster them for the entire year. So there are a couple of, you know, guys that we would consider prospects that were left exposed. Stanley Consuegra, uh, William Lugo, Javier Atencio, Jordani Ventura, guys like that. Man, if, know, a major, the, if a major league team wants to roster Stanley Consuegra, uh, Godspeed. Yeah, like the odds of, of a guy, you know, like they do have potential, but their potential is not has not been actualized and it's not close to being actualized. So if a team wants to pick one of those guys, like, well, that will be an interesting move, uh, completely unexpected. So mm-hmm. guys like that can be left exposed and who cares? Not really going to have an issue. Um, you do have then, though, like guys that have experience in double A AA and triple A. And those are the guys that, okay, maybe teams might pick them. But mm-hmm. all 30 teams have AA teams. All, all 30 teams have AAA teams. So just because a guy has played in AAA, AA, doesn't mean that they're going to be appealing targets. So guys like Carlos Cortez, Matt Winokur, the aforementioned Trey Cobb, they've had some degree of success in AA and or AAA, but not enough where, you know, it, 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 not enough that might attract another team to, to select them. In order to be like an appealing target, you need to have obviously like some kind of combination of success in the upper levels of the minors and stuff that is potentially going to be legit in the majors. And there are a couple of guys in, in the system, the Mets system, that they do have that combination, and so they might be picked. Um, first up, Daniel Nunez, and he was already selected in Rule Yeah, he was already once. selected, got yeah. hurt, returned. <laughs> yep, he was selected by the Giants in 2020, and he was actually having a really good spring training. Um, probably was going to, well, I mean, he was selected, so definitely was going to make that team, but might have even had a, uh important role in their bullpen. But then he got Tommy John, and he was returned to the Mets, and he was okay. Um in Binghamton, he had a 349 ERA in 28.1 innings, 36 hits allowed, 13 walks, 43 strikeouts. The fastball looked good. It was 94 to 95. His slider is pretty effective, but the control took 
a couple of steps back and the stuff was kind of hittable. I mean, uh, 36 hits in 28 innings, not optimal. But he is a guy that I could see getting picked by another team because, you know, like we were just saying with those other players that the Mets, select, Mets selected on waivers, you can take a flyer and if it works out, great. And if it doesn't, eh, you're not really losing anything. That's the kind of pitcher that, you know, Nunez would be for some other team. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could see a team, I think a team could squint and say, yeah, we could hide this guy as the eighth bullpen arm for most of the year. Yep. And it'll be manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick Meyer, Ed and Hayden Sanger, they're basically almost the exact same player. Um, catchers can't really hit, but they have good defensive chops. Sanger's maybe has a little bit more power, and Nick Meyer gets on base consistently a little bit more. And they're both first, you know, first-rate uh, defensive catchers. So a team looking for a cheap backup catcher conceptually could pick either one. But, you know, most teams have a guy kind of like that, so mm-hmm. it's not really like a guarantee or anything like that. I mean, that. we had the same argument uh, last year about Sanger, basically, where... Mm-hmm. Um, now, it is worth noting that... Well, no, they still do have three catchers on the 40, right? Um, I think there's been a fair amount of speculation that James McCann will not be on this roster come next year, or at least he shouldn't be. Um, maybe at that point they'd add one of these, but one of these guys, um, or bring in a veteran, who knows? Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to get up in arms about leaving one of these guys unprotected. It's fine. No, I and mean, like you were saying, this was a potential last year, You know, the, when, when the Rule 5 was canceled, obviously, but it was a possibility, and... At the time, we were all saying, like, well, you know, it, it would be nice not to lose Hayden Sanger, but if we do, eh, not the biggest deal. And that remains true one year later. Um, another candidate, Josh Walker. Now, we ranked him 18 on our top list, on our top prospect list for 2022. Stuff is not remarkable, but he is a left-hander, so automatically gives him, you know, a slightly higher floor. He can start, he can relieve, that versatility is useful. And, you know, if a team, like like Daniel Nunez, if a team wants to pick a guy and just kind of make him the last guy in the bullpen because they see something in a pitcher they think they can tweak and make him a lot better, or whatever the case, you know, Walker is, is another guy that is in that vein that a team could conceptually just pick him, don't really give him any kind of high leverage uh, role, and... Just keep trotting out for as long as they can. This is the one that was most odd to me, I think. Um, Walker, I thought, looked really good in the AFL. I know the numbers weren't necessarily impressive, but he was pumping his fastball in there pretty good. Um, the peripherals on his AAA performance were pretty strong. Again, I know the ERA isn't pretty, but lots of strikeouts. Probably some batted ball uh, misfortune and some home run, uh, bad home run luck. Um, but this is a system, certainly, I mean, still, even even in light of the names they've added over the last week, that is lacking upper minors pitching talent, particularly from uh, the left side. Um, so I was a little surprised that they w- didn't add Walker. Um, mm-hmm. They could always, 
my, my logic on these borderline guys, especially when you have as much room as the Mets do, is like, why not add them and, and try to pass them through later if, if, if it really comes down to it? But especially after you already sent him to the AFL, it's not like you're going to sneak him. Not like got, teams aren't going to be aware. Um, See, so yeah, I don't I don't know. It, it, look, it's not an, an earth shatteringly bad move that they didn't add him, but I thought that he probably should have been added. Yeah, agreed. I mean, like you said, it's easier to take somebody off than it is to cross your fingers and hope that all of 29 other teams don't don't mm-hmm. them. right. But it's not it's it's not an earth shatteringly terrible decision. It is what it is. And last guy, and I think the most obvious guy to get selected is Jake Mangum, and we ranked him 14 on our 2022 top prospect list. And, you know, early in his career, the best case scenario for him looked like he was going to be a defensive-oriented fourth and fifth outfielder. But in 2021, he made some swing changes, basically, you know, put the ball in the more in the air more, pull it more, and he had an offensive season that, like, I don't think any of us saw coming. And then again last year, even though he missed a couple of months because of a back injury, he was still pretty good with the bat. Is he going to be like a 300 hitter as a major league regular? No. But a backup player that could hit the lick and play really good defense at a premium position is is a really handy thing to have. I mean, look at the, the career that Luis Guillorme has kind of carved for himself and yep. Jake Mangum could be like a, an outfield version of Luis Guillorme and you know I, I don't know what they were thinking not protecting him because he's a very easy guy to to stash as a, as a outfielder defense you know as, as your replacement outfielder yeah like there's <sighs> no reason uh I mean, frankly, I think bad teams should utilize the Rule 5 draft more often than they do. But, like, a team like the uh, – who's going to be terrible next year? I'm trying to come up with a name here. Pittsburgh. Always Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh's been pretty bad lately. They're, they're like, a, a team – I feel like, especially if you're at the start of a rebuilding cycle, it's like Pittsburgh's problem is that they have a lot of prospects that are going to need to get time now, like – they're going to have a glut of guys that they need to test out. But if you're at the start of a rebuild, like, oh, is it mean to say Detroit's at the start of another rebuild? Because they might be. <laughs> um, maybe the Angels, if they start blowing stuff up. Um, the Rockies are eternally garbage. The Reds, maybe. Like, one of these teams should be taking a chance on Jake Mangum and, and rolling the dice. Um I don't think it's going to be a huge loss for the Mets. I've never been that huge on Jake Mangum, and, and to your comparison, I don't think he has anywhere near uh, the the bat-to-ball or, or, or plate discipline that, that uh, Guillaume does. Um, so I, I don't know that the offense is ever going to translate effectively, but he's performed. Like There's no denying that he's performed in the high minors at this stage, and this team does not have any notable outfield depth outside of like Khalil Lee. Um so yeah, I, I also thought it was a little odd they didn't add Mangum. Mm-hmm. I mean again it, it comes back to it's easier to remove a guy after the fact than hope that they get overlooked. And I hope that wasn't the Mets strategy was oh no one else will notice. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm trying like the the roster right now. Um, the outfield situation is is grim to say the least, right? Like it's <laughs> it's not great. Uh, uh, you're basically looking at starting McNeil in the outfield and Marte and Canna in some orientation. Now, I think they're going to retain Nimmo, but perhaps I'm a little optimistic. Oh God, I hope so. Yeah, I th- I think. I mean, I think the center field market is pretty bad, right? If you don't retain Brandon Nimmo, and I don't think they're going to go sign, spend half a million dollars or half a billion dollars, excuse me, on on Aaron Judge, your center field options are few and far between. And right now on roster resource, the projected backup outfielders are Khalil Lee and Darren Ruff. And that's while starting Jeff McNeil in the outfield. So the outfield situation in this organization is real bad. And uh, it seems like they could have, made room for Mangum, probably should have. Um, they're going to need to sign someone to fill that spot, and, like, are we really going to do the whole Travis Jankowski thing again? I'd rather see Mangum, personally, so. Mm-hmm. And I have nothing against Travis Jankowski. Like, Travis Jankowski is a fine fifth outfielder. Like, totally fine. Um, but why are you going to bother with that when you have Jake Mangum? Like, just, just see what that, see what's there counting how many guys are on the 40-man roster right now. I think they're up to 35. One, three, two, three. I just counted 33, but it could be. It's There's still plenty of room to add players, and there's there's plenty of room that they could have added these players. Mm-hmm. You know, There was a spot for man at the end of the day. So It's also worth yeah. remembering, though, that us as fans tend to worry about the Rule 5 seemingly a lot more than Major League teams do, because... It's just a totally underused mechanic, it feels like. Um, so, who knows? This may not wind up mattering at all. Yeah, yeah you know. and they, hey, maybe the Mets will acquire somebody that makes all these guys redundant in their, their pick in the Rule 5. We'll see. The thing, the thing with Manga, though, is he's a nice fifth outfielder just due to the options. And, like, mm-hmm. you can't option... This was a problem with Jankowski. You can't option Travis Jankowski. You have to pass him through waivers, and then he goes to Seattle. And the next time you need a fifth outfielder, you don't have one. So... If if professional teams cribbled as much as we are about fifth outfielder options, I think that they would be <laughs> much better run. <laughs> Yes, yes. Major League teams make us the GM. Ugh. I'm pretty sure I could do a better job than whoever's running the Tigers at this point. Yeah, no, that is a good point. That is a completely valid point. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
All right. And the last thing that we're going to get to this week, Mark Jamuda has been shifted from director of amateur scouting to senior advisor to amateur and international scouting. Now, the vice president of amateur and international scouting is none other than Tommy Tannis. So the duo of Jamuda and Tannis will still be working together and they're still going to be having an impact on the draft. But his role is going to be a little bit more nebulous, I guess, as an advisor, as opposed to a much more uh, official title. And there will be somebody new added to the mix who's going to have his or her own ideas. Um, Supposedly, as of right now, Matt Swanson, who worked with Billy Epler in Los Angeles, he's the main candidate to be uh, taking over the role. He was a pitcher in the Pirate system for a couple of years, and he was hired by the Cardinals as an area scout supervisor for a little bit after he retired. And then in 2016, um, Epler and the Angels hired him as their director of scouting, and he did that for a couple of years from 2016 until 2021. And then he was shifted to special assistant and senior advisor of scouting and uh, player personnel. And he's still there um, right now. So what what how how have his drafts look like if if he is potentially going to be coming to the Mets? And this is an extremely crude way of looking at things because there's so much that goes into player acquisition and player development and everything. Uh so, you know, so to to pin an entire major league team's minor league system on one person is, you know, very, very crude way of looking at things to pin how an entire team's, you know, draft goes again on one person, very crude way of looking at things. But I mean, we, we, from the public side, what else are we supposed to do exactly? Right. Right. Like exactly, exactly. So let's take a look at the Angels' drafts um, since 2016 when when he took over. Buckle up, folks. It's bad. Yeah, I mean, you think the Mets are bad. Well, oy. all right, so 2016 draft now. The Angels had the 16th overall pick, and they selected catcher Matt Dice out of the University of Virginia. He hit well in the minor leagues. He did get a little boost in his stats due to the, uh, the PCL factor. But he hasn't really amounted to much in the majors yet. But... That kind of is understandable. I mean, you know, you're playing back up to Yadier Molina. So, you know, the. Um, oh, what the, I keep on confusing the Angels and the uh, Cardinals. He was also, I think the problem with Thais that he was like literally never a catcher. It was right. very obvious on draft night that this dude was not a catcher. Right, right. And I he mean, had no power. Not no power, but very limited power. So you're drafting a non-catcher who's going to have to play third or first with a questionable power projection. Mm-hmm. What is that player exactly? Not a everyday regular. No, no. <laughs> uh, outside of him, uh, five other guys from that draft that the Angels picked made their major league debuts. Most notable guy is currently uh, Philly outfielder Brandon Marsh. Eh, you know, not a, a man with the wettest hair on the planet. <laughs> Not really a um, compelling group of people. Let me get the list of the other guys that have made it. I mean, and Marsh very well might be an example in failed development as a fail, opposed to failed amateur scouting. 
in that he has a lot of talent. They've just never, the Angels have the last decade or so done a really terrible job with swings and hitting development and also pitching development. But on the hitting side, they just, everyone winds up with these lifty swings with major bat to ball questions. And that's basically been Marsh's problem. And Mm -hmm. so maybe, maybe that's a scouting win and a development fail. And who knows whether this, uh, the new hire was responsible for that or not. Again, we're, we're relying on crude judgments here. Yeah. Like, um, so the other guys are Chris Rodriguez, right-handed pitcher, Jack Kruger. That's a pretty good name catcher. And Jose Rojas, a shortstop. None of these guys have really, you know, uh, Brandon Marsh is the only one. Marsh and Rodriguez are the only ones that have produced positive value. Everyone else is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) So that is the 2016 draft. Uh, 2017, they had the 10th overall pick and they selected outfield Jordan Adele from Ballard High School in Louisville. Very highly regarded prospect. Made his major league debut in 2020. Hasn't really figured it out yet. Is he yep. a bust? I don't know. Does he I think, need I think the scenery? The, I think this is the same bucket as Marsh, where good yeah. scouting, just they've never developed his swing and fixed the in-zone contact issues. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of him, uh, again, five of guys made their major league debuts in that ro- in that draft class. The most notable one, Griffin Koenig, who's pretty solid back end starter. Yep. Um, in addition to him, there's another right handed pitcher, Isaac Matson, another right handed pitcher, Jeremy Beasley, and first baseman David McKinnon. No one has provided positive value outside of Koenig. All right, now the 2018 draft, and Los Angeles had the 17th overall pick, and they signed Jordan Adams, who has not yet made his major league debut, kind of been struggling in high A and double A, considered a a back end of the top 100 uh, national prospect. Um, Obviously, it's, it's a bit harder now to judge because you having you have fewer and fewer guys that are actually making major league debuts and judging how high a prospect is, is, is very much a uh, opinion kind of thing. But after him, um, the angels had five other guys again, make their major league debuts. Andrew Wentz, right hand pitcher is the most valuable of them so far by baseball war. Um, then you also have right-hand pitcher Austin Warren. You have Kyle Tucker, Kyle Bradish, and Cooper Criswell. And if I didn't see these stats and these people, I could. I, I, I couldn't tell. Yeah, I, no. <laughs> it's it's like, also okay. not D. Kyle Tucker. So. No, 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 no. So 2018, you know, n- not too much going on there either. Um. 2019 now, they had the 15th overall draft. They signed shortstop Will Wilson from North Carolina State. And he was he was traded to San Francisco after his first season, so they don't really have any influence over him anymore. But um, good decision, huh, to sign shortstop they, Will they Wilson. They drafted a third-round prospect in the first, then immediately traded him to get off a not-awful contract they had just signed the offseason. They'd used it to dump the uh, Zach Cozart contract. 
Like, and the funniest thing, they they didn't even really save money on that pick. Like no. they gave him full slot value. He almost got four million dollars. Like just, uh, uh, like by my own admission, I was not paying as much attention to the draft back then, outside of what the Mets did. But even I was like, what the hell is this? Right. I mean, on draft night, when you hear a guy, you know, whose name gets called in the first round, that is nowhere on anybody's lists. It it raises some questions and you say, huh? And he was a big, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, none of none of the other. No, obviously no one from that draft has made it to the majors yet, and nobody else has really stood out. So, question, you know, that that draft, you know, the jury's still out there. Uh, twenty twenty draft now. They had the tenth overall pick, and they selected Reed Detmers out of the University of Louisville. He put up solid numbers in the minor leagues. He was considered a a top prospect. He made his major league debut in 2021. He's looked solid so far, and he probably should be a a somewhat dependable mid to back end of the rotation guy. So good for them, you know. (laughs) Good, good, good pick. It's like it's like better David Peterson, basically. Yeah. Um. Obviously, they that that year the draft was extremely abbreviated. The uh, Angels only had four picks, and none of these other four guys that they selected, David Calabrese, Werner Blakely, and Adam Seminaris, none of these guys have um, made any kind of splashes yet. I think Blakely is interesting, but he also struck out 30% of the time in A-ball this year. So there's he hit really well otherwise, but that's given the trends in the Angels organization of failing to to teach contact to any major degree. That's that's got to be concerning. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 2021. Now they had the ninth overall pick, and they signed right-hander Sam Bachman from Miami University of Ohio. He's a back-end top hundred prospect. Um, the second round that they selected Kyler Bush is as well. But after those two, no one else is really uh, no one else has really stood out a bit. I mean, Bachman was an analytic starling, and then he was awful in Double A this year, mm-hmm. just awful. Um, I think calling a back end top hundred guy is polite. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not. It's really a quite poor draft record. Their 2020, 2022 draft this past season, I think, definitely has been their best in a while. Um, yes. They had the thir- 13th overall pick, and they selected Campbell University shortstop Zach Nito. Um, I'm pretty sure he's going to be on, you know, 2023 top prospect lists. In addition to him, they selected Ben Joyce in the third round, Jake Madden in the fourth round, Victor Medeiros in the sixth, Caden uh, Dana in the 11th. So it was a legitimately good draft for them. I think Nato and Joyce will definitely 100% be on national top prospect lists next year. Those other guys will all be in Angels top prospects lists mm-hmm. next year. So that draft definitely was a legitimately good one for them. Definitely going to go far to strengthening their system. Yeah, Nato I really you know. like. Um 
he's already in the back of Baseball America's top 100. They have the most recently updated uh, top 100. Um, so, who knows? Maybe they've improved, but... the the Now, here's the thing. Is it just a coincidence? Because... Um, Swanson was in charge of the draft from 2016 until 2021. So the first year that he's gone and they have this kind of draft. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it doesn't look good. But again, this is extremely crude what we're doing right now. You know, And, and it's it's very hard to... It's very hard to divine what's going on in any front office. I think it's especially hard with the Angels because of their ownership and just how generally dysfunctional that team has been the past decade or so. Um, Which makes it a little bit more concerning to me, honestly. Like, my takeaway from all of this is that it really sucks that the Mets have never been able to land their big-name president of baseball ops. Because now you have a... Failed Angels GM, Gnepler, bringing in all the guys who worked in Anaheim with him uh, and never got anywhere there. And I worry that this is just uh, spinning wheels for a while until they actually clean house and get a big name in that's going to, to, to actually build a top-notch organization. Now, maybe that's too harsh on Epler. At one time, he was a very highly sought-out GM candidate, and he came up under Brian Cashman in a in a in a in a uh, probably the best front office system that there is in baseball today. Um, so, so, so maybe maybe judging Epler and all of his his hires based on what they did in Anaheim again in that sort of dysfunctional environment isn't fair, but. Uh, uh, from the information we can go off of, it's it's not very encouraging, right? There's a reason. There's a reason the Angels, despite having Mike Trout and Shohei Otani for the better part of the last, like they've had the the single two most valuable pieces in baseball for the majority of the last five years, and Trout for longer than that, and have never done anything with it because their drafting and development uh, developing has been among the worst in the league, consistently. Mm-hmm. And if you, this is one thing that jumped out at me. <clears throat> in 2016, they picked 16. In 2017, they picked 10. In 2018, 18. In 2019, 15. In 2020, 10. 2021, 9. These are about the same areas where the Mets have been picking over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And we've we've been, you know, we we've complained a lot. Well, not complained. It's not the right word, but we've we've vetched a bit about how, you know, that's the kind of area where the best players are you know not available anymore and the quality takes a turn for the worst mm-hmm. the mets have been able to develop a decent farm system with these kind of players angels on the other hand have not no and the different the major difference is the mets usually at least hit the, the mets have not drafted well for much of the past decade let's say and they've done i think they've done better the last couple drafts mm-hmm. um but they consistently did well in the first round. Like even when the Mets were drafting garbage college relievers at the start of day two and wasting picks, they were still generally doing well in the first. And that's why they've 
fairly consistently had a low mid-tier farm that is extraordinarily top-heavy. And the Angels have many of the same problems, except they haven't even been hitting on the first-round picks. Yep. Now again, sorry, Um, Tommy Tannis is still involved here, and and Mark Jumita will be working with him. And Tannis was one half of the draft that all the Mets have been pulling over the last couple of years. So if Swanson is the guy that is going to be replacing Jamuda, it's not like magically they're going to be drafting terrible again because he's only half the equation. And again, maybe Swanson is actually really good and he's just been being held back, you know, by by the angels organization as a whole and everything that's going on there you know or maybe maybe swanson's not actually going to be hired and it'll be somebody else but i think think that's a really good point especially because we as a uh this isn't just a baseball problem this is honestly like a societal problem where we we have a tendency to want to assign the credit for things entirely to to one individual or, or something like that right in reality there's a whole team involved here I don't know what the Angels scouting and amateur analytics departments were allotted in terms of budget or resources. Maybe it was just zero, zero because Artie Marino doesn't believe in doing anything aside from giving Scott Boris clients ridiculous contracts. Um, and the Mets, to their credit, have reportedly beefed up those areas of their front office. So. Maybe this does work out in the end. Again, there's a lot of complicated factors that we can't actually um, gleam great insights into without having a source in the front office. And I sure as hell don't know who anyone who has worked for the Angels. <laughs> nope, I can't say I do either. So, but yeah, I mean, whatever. Whoever fills the role, it'll be it'll be interesting to see um, who it is. A and then B, how the Mets approach the draft. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, you know, going back to 2016, at the beginning of the Tremuda Tannis relationship, the first couple of years were not too good. Um, no. <laughs> I mean, 2016, that is the year that they drafted um, Justin Dunn, number one, and Anthony Kay. Let's see. Let me get this up here. Let me let yeah. me relitigate my Anthony Kay opinions. Yeah. Oh. But they did they did draft Pete Alonso that year, so I mean that that worked out well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But obviously the rest of that draft was you know Blake Tiberi, Michael Paez, Colby Woodmansey, you know. Oh, Colby Woodmansey! I thought he was good. <laughs> I was very wrong. Yeah, um, 2017. That was the year they had Peterson in the first round, Vientos in the second, then they had Quinn Brody, Matt Winokur. Trey Cobb. I think this is the first time we've. How many shoutouts has Trey Cobb gotten this episode? More Three now. All, yeah. all, of, all of their third to fifth round picks have just been lit on fire, though. Mm-hmm. But the the first couple of years of the Tremuda Tannis relationship, that basically was kind of how it went: is that you had like an okay first or second pick, and then just everything else was trash because they just were not evaluating these players. Well, I you know, I don't really know where the disconnect was. I feel like they just didn't understand what was valuable, right? They, yeah. It's not – I don't even know that it was an individual player thing. They just didn't understand the useful demographics to be targeting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. And then, so the first three years, it was basically like that. You have your first and second, maybe third round, and, and especially in Pete Alonso's case, where you're getting decent value, but then everything else, like you're, you're trying to draft well, and they just did not work out. In 2019, that strategy just changed, and they basically went after those first couple picks, like they had been, and they said, screw everything else, we're going to get another pick that's extremely high upside and forget about rounds, you know, four through 10, five through 10. And that's basically what they did in, you know, the last couple of years. And arguably that's going to produce, I don't want to say more higher upside guys, but because mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, there there is a problem with that strategy too, as we're seeing play out in Binghamton and Syracuse now, where just the teams are terrible because those guys that you're drafting in the later rounds are are quitting baseball because they just are not good. It's truly an unpleasant viewing experience, yes. Yes, but there's something to be said, obviously, about maximizing your gains and, and making a draft extremely top-heavy at the expense of everything else because you're getting higher upside guys. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how the Mets draft next year. Are they going to do this again? Are they going to kind of go back to just selecting the best um, player they believe is available? And Hey, to their credit, they did not take Ben Joyce, which I was a little afraid they would do. I would have liked to see Ben Joyce. Really? When he got picked in the third round. Yeah. He got picked in the third round. It would have been fun. I mean, That's I'm not cool. a big Nick Morabito fan. Oh, I think Nick Morbido is bad, but at least the demographic right. is okay to ta- is to target. But I don't understand why. I think that's way too high to take a college reliever. I would have gone with Nick Morbido at at seventy five overall. Yeah, that why was not? bad. That was a bit a bad pick. But let's pull up the twenty twenty two draft results real quick before we get out of here. Twenty twenty two MLB draft results. Let's see if the MLB tracker wants to work for me. That was in round two, right? Was Morbido? I believe it was. Morbido was round two, yeah. He was round. No, Tidwell was round two. Oh, was he like round round B or something? Round one of these extra rounds? Yeah, he was the first pick in round 2C. Okay, the comp for losing. Uh, Not Conforto. uh, the other one. Syndergaard. Thank Syndergaard. you. Right, right. Um, none of these guys taken immediately after him jump out. Oh, they should have taken Jack Brannigan. Zap <laughs> Brannigan. <Zap, laughs> we're out of room. Zap Brannigan. Oh, there's Brendan Sprout. So they wasted that pick, too. Good, good. Oh, it was a good pick. I mean, if he, he didn't sign, what can you do? But I would have I mean, loved you, to. You don't draft the guy if you know you're not going to sign. If you don't know that you can. Well. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to come Choice up. Choice was selected in the third round. Yes. Yeah. So like. Ten right, so I mean, maybe so later. Yeah. If they if they picked Joyce over Sprout, that would have been good on multiple levels because they would have gotten a player where sure. they don't have a player. But sure. then Joyce would have been fun, damn it. It would have, it would have been yeah don't get me wrong it would have been fun I just don't know <laughs> that it would have been the smartest pick I mean I really like Trey Dombrowski who round up with the Tigers and or excuse me the the Astros in round four um, 
it's too it's way too early to be litigating this in terms of who they should have taken right. instead of more Bi- more was a bad pick though i think yeah not a fan but you know it's sometimes you have to you can't think analytically and you just have to think this guy throws a 106 mile per hour fastball fuck it <laughs> maybe All right. Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from comics to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on, well, if Twitter exists in the next week, which is up in the air, you could follow us there. Um, if it doesn't exist, I guess subscribe to our OnlyFans, maybe. Oh, God. <laughs> Please. I think we would just not to have one of those. Well, if Twitter exists between the time that this goes uh, this goes up, I can be found at, at Steve Seipler. Lucas exists at Lucas at Elvlahos343. Ken is at KenLavin91. And Thomas is at SadMetSeason, S-Z-N. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Rate and review it. And, of course, we thank you for listening. So we will be back next week. And until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.